0: Good morning, everyone. I hope you all had a, a Merry Christmas yesterday. Uh, good time with family, friends, opening up some gifts. Um, maybe just a quick show of hands: who was there? Maybe had like a bigger party, maybe f- fifteen or more people. Anybody have a big family get together? A couple people. How about small? Like, at our house, we only had six of us. Anybody else had like a small gathering? Okay family in the back. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it's a great opportunity. Um, Matt asked me a couple weeks ago to, to be able to share, um, and I jumped at the chance to do it. And So I thank, thank Matt and thank you guys for sitting through another, another service with, with me preaching. Um, and so as always, um, I know just my inability, my, my weaknesses, and so I just need to ask Ask the Lord um, to guide me, to guide all of us today. So let's pray once more. Dear God, we come to you today just thankful, um, just for the, the holiday season, the time that we had to, to look back and remember the birth of Christ, uh, remember what he has done for us, that taking on flesh and coming as a baby, um, that we can remember Christ that the purpose in him coming was to, to redeem his people. The purpose of his coming was to, to save us. And so, God, I pray that uh, as we look at the passage today, look at your word, God, that you can speak through me, God, that your grace can show up in, in just clear communication of your word. Uh, God, I pray for, for everybody, including myself, that our hearts might be fertile soil for your word, that it can change and transform our lives, that we can Fix our eyes on you as the the worthy one as the one worthy of all praise and honor and glory God and so pray all this in Jesus name amen so I don't know if if anybody here has seen the TV show Shark Tank so it's something that my me and my family watch um, when it's on and maybe for some of you who don't know about the show it's five very 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 wealthy people millionaires billionaires who have money and they're willing to invest in companies and so somebody comes with a product or a business and says i am a whatever that they might have i'm a a, i have a pizza shop or um, i have this product that i that i want to sell and so they are willing to give up a part of their company Let's say, I'm willing to give you 25% of my company for $500,000, right? And so they offer this and say, this is why you should invest in my company because our company is, in their mind, worth $2 million. And so they're asking, okay, investors, I need your money in order to to, to help my company so that we both can make money, right? And so this whole idea of the show is somebody comes in with, with their product or their business and says, this is what my company is worth. And now there's one, one shark that's called Kevin, and he's always like, it's not worth what you're saying it is, right? It's, it, it's not making money, it's not worth this cost that you say it is. And so the, the idea of worth, the idea of value is very prevalent in our society, right? We, we think of that if if we are going to to buy a car okay this the car salesman might say this car is worth $35,000 but in our minds it's like i just need a car with four wheels it doesn't matter how much it costs i'm just looking for for it to get me to point a or point b or maybe maybe some of us yesterday pulled out our family china or family heirlooms of this uh, this bowl that was in our gen- in our family for generations right or a Napkin holder, that's what my grandmother has, and so every time we go over to her house, she shares this napkin holder. And so for you, that would be worth an infinite amount. It has sentimental value, right? But if I were to look at it, I'd be like, it's a napkin holder. Maybe five bucks, like, that's, that's my thought, right? And so worth in monetary value seems to be subjective, right? One person might say it's worth this, another person might say it's worth that. But it's not just monetary, right? It's, it's also a common phrase that we say, it's, it's not worth my time, right? And so if, if I were to say, I have a job for you and work 40 hours a week and I'll pay you $25 an hour, I think most of us would be like, okay, that's, that's a pretty decent wage. At least I would say that because that's a pretty decent wage for, for somebody still in school. Um, and I would say, I'll give you $25 an hour. How does that sound? Okay, but let me ask you if it was to do that to be a pillow tester. You had to sleep on a pillow eight hours a day, and you got it, right? I'm pretty sure everybody in this room would jump at that chance, be like, I can do that. That's definitely worth my time. But what if I said, okay, you have to be a window washer, the Empire State Building, now, I could offer some people $100 an hour, and because they're maybe scared of heights, they're like, it doesn't matter what price you're gonna give me, it doesn't matter if it's $100, $200, $500 an hour, I'm not getting up to wash windows, right? And so again, it can be worth, and value can be subjective, right? It can be, well, that's, it's worth your time to do this, but it's not worth my time. It's worth, worth this much amount of money, but it's not worth my time. And so this was kind of the idea of, of worth that, that when Matt talked to me about, about this, this was the idea that I couldn't really escape because the Bible kind of talks about worth in kind of two ways, the, the normal sense that we think of it as value, something that has intrinsic value within it, right? But also when the Bible talks about this word worth, it's, it's translated axios. That's, that's the, the Greek word which... It's rendered value, but it's also rendered deserve. And so, in, in certain contexts, it says the worker deserves his wages, right? And so, it's it's an objective fact that this is what's going to happen. If you work this job, you will get paid. And so, in in both of these, I think is helpful for our study today um, as we look at what worth is and the object of our worth, which is Christ, that that Jesus is worthy, he is of great value, but Jesus is also deserving of our praise and honor. And so as, as I was thinking about this, um, I was reading, and one of the passages that really God kind of put on, on my heart was Revelation 5, right? And that's, that's not usually a, um, a passage that when you're asked to speak on, you usually don't talk about Revelation. And so I'm saying right now, if you have any questions about Revelation, the book, how to interpret it, the beast, um, all that kind of stuff, direct those questions to Matt. He's, he's got it. He's willing and ready to, to answer all those questions for you. But um, if we can open up our Bibles to Revelation chapter 5, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 10. So Revelation 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold the lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. So he can open the seal, open the scroll, and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb, standing as though it were slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who had seated on the throne, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which its prayers, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And so just for a little context, this is written by the, the Apostle John, um, the one who had written the Gospel of John. John receives a vision, as we read in the first chapter of Revelation, that he receives a vision from God. He is able to have the curtain rolled back and, and have a view into, into heaven. And so we, we have here um, the idea of God sitting on the throne and this idea of the seals not being able to open. And as I was studying this, most most interpreters seem to look at this as the will of God to be, to be done, as it is to be accomplished and to reach its culmination, that the, the seals are to be, to be opened. And as you continue reading in the book of Revelation, once that happens, the sequ- sequence of events will transpire, which will eventually lead to the culmination of heaven and, um, and new creation. And so it says, no one on heaven nor on earth nor under the earth was able to open the scroll, right? So they, there's angst, there, there's sadness, there was there was crying and weeping, but then there was one found worthy. And in that one, we have just the kind of the focus of, of what I wanna look today, the, the song of heaven, right? Starting in, in verse nine, um, there is kind of two things I want us to to look at in this in this song, and then two other passages of scripture that I really highlight what the worth of Christ means for us. And so the first the first thing I want us to look at in in verse nine is when it says, "Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals." And so what, what this is what this is talking about is just like like we read earlier that no one on heaven and earth under the earth was able to do it no king no government official no athlete no nobody was able to open this scroll but it says worthy are you this this is talking about christ this is talking about the the lion the from the tribe of judah the, the root of david he has conquered he is the lamb he is worthy but He is first worthy because he has intrinsic value, right? That's not a value that he has because of what he has done that that will come. But first and foremost, God is worthy because of who he is in and of himself, in his own very nature, right? And so I think sometimes this this idea can be overlooked of, okay, yeah, we, we mainly praise God for what he has done, which... He has done great and awesome things that we will look at. But first and foremost, we praise God because of who he is. And so in his nature, he is self-existent. God is the only being who exists in himself. It, it, even when we begin the Bible, and says in Genesis, in the beginning, God created. It's, it's assumed God is already there. God is the agent in which he, he creates. He exists in and of himself that because of this, he is worthy to be praised. He says also when he's, he's speaking to Moses through, uh, to, to have Moses tell Pharaoh, he says, go tell Pharaoh, I am. I am sent you. When you begin to think of, of that, like Jesus, one of his, the names that he gives himself is I am, that he exists, that he ever will exist, he ever has existed, he ever will exist. This is the God that we worship. But secondly, it also talks throughout Scripture, one of the attributes, one of the parts of his nature, is his self-sufficiency, right? And so God exists in himself. One of um, a commentator, Dr. Bruce Ware, once says self-sufficiency is God possesses in himself intrinsically and eternally every quality in infinite measure. So God exists within himself right if if we did not have air we would drop within seconds right if, if we didn't have a heart beating and a brain processing and firing neurons we need all these things to happen in order for us to live god needs nothing in order to live another another book i was reading was delighting in the trinity by michael reeves and he talks about the necessity of god to be triune because god being triune has within himself a perfect relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? That there is perfect love, perfect joy, perfect peace. And he kind of contrasts this triune God that we have in Christianity with the God of Islam. He says that the God of Islam is singular. He is, they consider him just the Father. But Dr. Reeves says that in order for then the God of Islam to express and to share love, he would have to first create something in order to have that love be displayed. Whereas the God we worship, the triune God, has the perfect fellowship within the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so there's many more um, attributes, there's many more parts of God's nature that are worthy of him to be praised, right? You can talk about his infiniteness, right? It's the best word that they could describe is infinite that it means non finite right that's it's just like god is too big he's just he's just not finite so that was the best word that that they could come up with he's eternal he's almighty there's lists of attributes that describe who god is and so it's it's first important in our understanding of the worthiness of god to understand that god in and of himself is worthy and as i was Preparing for this message and, and thinking about this revelation, as we see here in, in verses twelve, it's talking about worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, blessing. The following verse: to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb of God be blessing, honor, glory, might forever and ever. And so as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, fast, fasting forward forward, 586 million. 200 years into the future. And what will we be doing? We will be singing praise because God is worthy. That it's not if I, if I told everybody here to be like, all right, sing praises of my worth. Sing of how good I am, sing of how great I am. That might last a whole 30 seconds before you guys are like, okay, that, I'm sick of this. Like, who is this guy, right? but we will literally be singing in 10 billion years and 20 billion years throughout all of eternity the worth of God because of who he is in himself, that, that God is worthy, God is deserving of this praise. But then also, like I said, it's not just who he is, but out of his nature, out of his, his love and his grace comes forth the ek- extrins, ek- extrinsic Values right, and so it talks about two specific things in which God has done, in which He is worshipped for. Verse nine says, "For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation." And so, the idea of redemption is one of the most glorious truths that we have about God that. That God, like like we talked about for Christmas, God put on skin to come to this place because there was a problem. There was a predicament that nobody could fix. There was no king who had the power or rule to prevent our sin which would lead to death. There was no government official, there was no nobody able, nobody willing uh, to be able to defeat our greatest enemy, our greatest adversary satan and sin but jesus comes and in order to redeem his people it would cost him coming to this earth and as as philippians 2 talks about that god himself he he humbles himself to the point of a servant taking on the form of man in order that he might redeem his people that god is doing the impossible that for each and every sin that that i have that it is a impossible payment for me to pay. But multiply that by the entire world, that this is a God-sized payment, that God is the only one who can be able to solve this predicament that can save his people. And so for a God-sized payment, for a God-sized price, there's a God-sized payment. And, and Jesus comes to redeem his people. It's not just a chosen few. It's not just, you know what, I, I really like these people. But as he says, it's, it's for the world. That the goal of human history is that somebody from every tribe, tongue, nation will worship the worth of Jesus for what he has done, that he has saved them from their sins. But also, it's not just the ransom and the redemption of what Jesus has done for us. In verse 10, it says, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth, right? And so as maybe there have been many great kingdoms throughout throughout this world, right? There have been those in the Bible that we can see, the Romans, that one of the greatest empires in the face of the earth, there have been the Babylonians, there have been the Persians, there have been the Greeks, right? We can think of many, many empires who have lasted centuries. And God doesn't just come as, as like a, ru- a ruling empire, that when the Romans would conquer over a village, conquer over a people, their army was shown to be stronger and mightier. So they would take over these villages, and that's how the, the spread of the Roman empire came so quickly. They were stronger, better, faster, smarter. They had everything at their advantage, and so they could take over these, these tribes very easily. And force these people to be their slaves, to, to, to work for them so that they could continue ruling and reigning as the as the Romans. But what is is amazing about this is that though we were enemies of God, though we were his adversaries, he doesn't just capture us and say, okay, you're gonna you're gonna work for me as, as slaves. He says, you are going to be my priests in the world. You're going to join my team, and I'm going to transform your heart, because as we see throughout the Old Testament, the, the priests were not on the outside. They were on the inside. They were a key, key part in the people of Israel. They, they had one hand on the heartbeat of God to understand who is this God, this, this holy and great and awesome almighty God this is who he is, but also priests had their hand on the heartbeat of the people. That they were the, the intermediaries, they were the mediators between God and man. And so in the same way, we are that this heavenly song is is a worship to God, because he is the one who transforms enemies, transforms people like myself and like us who were enemies, who opposed God, who were adversaries of him, he doesn't just force them in slavery, he, he does a greater work. He transforms their hearts so that they will say, wow, this, this is the God that I serve, that they may go into the nations, that they may go into their streets, into their uh, homes, into their neighborhoods and share the good news of what Christ has done, that he has, he has, he has a rule and reign on the earth and so as i was as as i was reading over this i was thinking okay this is this is great this is worthy this is what it means to to be worthy of god right but before we leave today i didn't want it just to be a intellectual ascent of just like oh wow that's a good reminder mike of god's intrinsic worth and his extrinsic worth of what he's done for us, and and have us leave right. Um, I wanted. A, 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 I didn't want this also just to be a future. Okay, that's what's going to happen in the future. When I die, I'm going to get a great voice, and we're going to be able to sing in the heavens forever. I don't think that's what's meant, and I don't think that's what Jesus is meant means um, throughout the gospel. I think he wants us to see that right here, right now, that Jesus is worthy, that what, what this kind of idea looks like is we've all been familiar, I hope, with a Rubik's Cube, right? We, we've all seen how those things work. They have many different sides, and they're just impossible to solve. I don't know if anybody solves one here, but I have usually thrown it or given up long before I have solved one of those. But in the sense of the Rubik's Cube, that is kind of how I picture God's worth. If God's worth is the Rubik's Cube, there are many different facets that we see throughout Scripture in how our responses are to be in light of the worth of Christ, right? So maybe on one side, the, the blue side, is worship, right? Worship is ascribing worth to something, the, the worth of Christ. So maybe that's the, the blue side of, of the Rubik's Cube. But then also, on the other side, you have the yellow side, right? That might be the, thanks, the thanksgiving of, of who we are and what God has done for us, that we are to be thankful and a thankful people to show the worth of Christ. Maybe another side is praise or adoration. The, the red side, you might say, is, is the praise and adoration that we are to, to have to show the worth of God. Maybe another side, the, the green side, might be the, the glory, that, that God is due glory because he is worth it. And so in this idea is the worth of God and, and many different unique facets. A lot of them, like a Rubik's Cube, can have a, a lot of overlap and a lot of uh, similar ideas, but our lives are to display the, the worthiness and the deservingness of Christ, and so there were a couple passages that, as were brought to my mind, I thought would be helpful to 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 bring about what what it means to to live a life that is worthy of Christ. So one of those is Luke chapter nine. I don't I don't think this is the one on the screen, um, but Luke Luke chapter nine. It says, Jesus. Um, and a, and a disciple is are talking, he says, and they were going along the road. Someone said to him, to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And so in just this, this first part, we, we see a disciple seeing many great things, right? This is Luke chapter nine. There's been many other miracles, many other things that have happened. And so the disciples are like, why would I not want to follow this guy? This, this, guy's, this guy's great. And Jesus responds Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have a place to go. But the Son of Man, my, myself, I have no, no home. Right? Like, even the foxes have a place to stay. Even the birds have trees to live in. But I am, as we see throughout the, the Gospels, Jesus is going place to place. He never set up his home, he, he wasn't just like, I'm going to stay in Jerusalem and this is where my home is going to be. Anybody who wants to come and see me can come. Jesus transcends the security and the comforts of this life in order to show the worth of who he is, right? And so it's 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 sometimes difficult to do things that are uncomfortable, right? Nobody wants to, to do things that... That are uncomfortable to them but I think in this passage Jesus is calling us to transcend our security to transcend our comfort in order to demonstrate to the world that he is worthy right because that that is why he has redeemed us that is why he has transformed us to show the world something something different to show the world that well, this person really values Christ and Christ has transformed every aspect of their life so that they demonstrate to the praise and honor and glory of Christ. And so maybe Jesus might be calling us to do some uncomfortable things. A couple, maybe now two months or so ago, a one, one friend of mine asked, Like, I was helping out with a basketball ministry, but he was, at, he was looking for somebody to help, and he's like, you can go and... 10, 15 minute gospel presentation, build some relationships with these guys. And I'm like, are you sure you want me? Like my basketball skills are like close to the bottom. Like I'm not, not that great. Um, slightly above my soccer skills, but that's not saying much because my soccer skills are even worse. So um, I'm like, you sure you want me? Uh, I was like, yeah, I, I would love for you to help out. And as I began thinking about it, I'm like, man, like I, I like watching basketball. I like playing but the only people I can really be are like fifth graders, so I, all these guys are going to be adults. So I'm like, okay, so it's going to be uncomfortable to go there. It's going to be around a certain group of people that I'm not, I don't usually hang around with. And so I'm like, what, what should I do? And through some prayer and, and talking, it was like, okay, Like God is allowing me this opportunity to step into something that would be uncomfortable so that I can demonstrate to the to the world, to the basketball players, that Christ is worthy, and so maybe for us today, that that could be helping out Thursday nights here with with Awana. Maybe it's just like, man, I'm I'm frightened of kids. I don't know what the heck they're gonna do to me. Like, I, I, they're gonna be running around. They're gonna be crazy. I can't deal with that right now. But maybe God is allowing that opportunity for us to demonstrate to the little hearts and minds of kids that. Jesus is worthy, that he's worthy of me stepping outside of my comfort zone because there is something of greater value. Or maybe that, just like what we had on Christmas, maybe a lot of us were with family and friends. Maybe for New Year's, maybe this upcoming year, God is calling us to maybe step out of our comfort zone to invite the neighbor down the street, to invite a co worker to our house. To say, you know what, it might be a little awkward. Like, maybe you don't know them that well. Maybe they're the the weird coworker that every co- um, job has. But to invite them and say, you know what, there's something greater than this. I want to demonstrate that Christ is worthy. I want to demonstrate that He deserves praise and honor and glory. And so I'm going to invite this person to my house. I don't know what that might be for each and everybody in this in this church today, but I think God is calling us to go deeper. He's calling us to step out and say, you know what? Jesus is worthy over my security, over my comfort. Expand that to our time and to our money, right? Is, is Jesus worthy of our time? If, if an outsider were to come and just to observe our life for a week, Anywhere you went, he went, anything you did, he did. What would he come away with? Would he say, you know what? This person is worthy. This person demonstrates that Jesus is worthy. Or would they say, you know what? Like, maybe they say they're a Christian, maybe they do a lot of Christian things, but you know what? Their their life looks exactly like the world. And so maybe the same thing could be said for, for your money that if if somebody were to to look and to see your financial records for the last for the last year would they come away with the conclusion that this person has been mastered by Jesus that that Jesus is their greatest affection their greatest desire their greatest treasure in their life because of the way that they spend their money or would they say you know what i don't maybe see a difference between this person and this unbeliever and so i think what Jesus is getting at in this passage here is that he wants to be supreme. He wants to be number one. And I think sometimes I've, I've heard it said in, in churches before, like, okay, you need to have God number one and then family number two, uh, friends number three, job number four, all, and kind of this, this ranking. But in, in, in reading scripture, it, it seems to be that there's is only one thing on the throne of your heart that will rule every other thing. That whatever sits on the throne of your heart is going to dictate how all the rest of them fall. And so if it is having family first, then family dictates, dictates how you maybe see God or, and then how maybe you see friends and how you, maybe you see your job. But if God comes first, God dictates every aspect of how you do family. How you do friends, how you have your job. Because then as we continue in this, this passage that Jesus talks about, he says to another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury Let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So again, Jesus is, is saying a shocking statement here. He's, he's saying, let the dead bury their own dead, right? Yeah. Like that's a very shocking statement for Jesus to say. Um, and obviously as we, we read the context and we, we understand just the, the whole idea of scripture, he's not saying you know what, just don't care about anything, this is it. He's saying the primary relationship that you should fix your eyes onto is Christ. So even above the closest relationship that we would have, that of family, Jesus is worthy of, of taking the time for that. And so Jesus is wanting us to understand that he alone is the one worthy to sit on the throne of our hearts because he's the one to to dictate how the rest of our life is to be lived that in light of God this is how my family should be in light of God this is how my finances should be in light of God this is how my money should go but I don't think that's all of what Jesus wants wants us to hear he, he wants us to to understand the supremeness or the um, principle nature of, of, of Christ in our lives. But also, I think he wants us to understand the value. And so the last passage looking at would be Matthew chapter 13. Um, and this is also one, another, another shocking statement that Jesus has. And this is kind of interesting because it's one of his shortest. Um, and so in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44... He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So imagine if that was you. Imagine you come home and tell your spouse, your, your husband, wife, you're like, We need to sell everything that we have. And you know that old abandoned house down the road? We're, we're going to buy that. We're gonna buy that field and that house there, and your wife or spouse would be like, um, "Are are you sure? What have you lost your mind? Like, well, what's going on here?" And maybe you should be like, "How how in the world are we, we're we're gonna drive our truck all the way over there and move there?" Husband might say, "Well, about that, we won't have the truck either. We're we're, we're selling the truck actually. We're we." need to get rid of that, and the wife might be like, but how in the world am I going to bring all my clothes, all my furniture into this new place? About that, honey, um, you won't really have that. I'll let you choose right now which, which piece of clothing you want to you wanna wear, but anything else, it's going to be sold. Everything that we have, furniture, clothes, house, car, it's all going to be sold. And that might seem very strange, right? That, I hope that would seem strange to, to most people, is that going and just selling all that you have. But what we have here is what I think one of the important things, because oftentimes we think of just the sacrifice, just, okay, is Jesus really worth all of this? And it says, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. So it's not some, some burdensome, oh man, Jesus is just making me give up everything. He just wants me to have a sucky life and it's just gonna be terrible, right? The, the, the worth of Jesus is that when we value him, it is the greatest treasure that we could have, that nothing else on this earth is as good as that. Jesus wants us to know that he is worthy, that he is deserving of giving up all things. He is worthy of it all. And so to conclude, there was one kind of story I was, I was reading. I was finishing up a class a little bit ago on church history, and we got to read over many kind of key leaders and, and people who impacted Christianity. And one of the earliest ones, one of the first known people, was Polycarp. So he was a disciple of John, the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, the same John who saw the vision in Revelation, he was a disciple of John. And so we we see throughout Paul's life, throughout Peter, throughout many of the apostles, that their lives ended because of martyrdom. That, that, that they gave their life because Christ was worthy. And so as things began to change, as the apostles started to to die out the kind of new generation of believers came. And so the Roman persecution at the time was rough. It it was very difficult that they were actively persecuting Christians because in their minds, for the Romans, they were a polytheistic people, right? They they believed in in the many gods, and so they thought if we didn't placate all of these gods, then they would be angry with us, and then we would eventually be overtaken, right? And so they they wanted everybody in the nation, in the Roman Empire, to worship all these gods. So for the Christian to say, I'm going to only worship one god, it's Jesus. They absolutely hated that. They thought it was going to bring down their empire. And so there was a man named Polycarp. And so he was a Christian, a devout Christian, and finally the Romans came to him and said, we need you to deny Christ. We need you to reject Christ. And they said if, if you do not reject Christ, we will either, they're not sure in church history whether they fed him to animals to, to have him devoured or if he was burned at the stake. But in of these cases, not, not something that obviously you would want to go through. And so Polycarp says something fantastic. He says, 86 years I have been his servant, been Christ's servant. And he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And when I read that, I can't help but but see just the value that Polycarp had for Christ. That he was willing to even give up his own life for Christ. that, That Christ was seen as worthy and Christ is deserving of his life and as well as our life. And so I'm not saying that martyrdom will come to probably any of us. But for us, is Jesus worthy of our entertainment? Do do we spend more time watching TV than we do in time of reading scripture and prayer? Do we spend more time in our hobbies? Do we spend more time um, doing fun things which, which aren't wrong? But is Jesus worthy? Is Jesus deserving in your own life? Because this is the the one true fact that Jesus—it's not a a subjective idea like how somebody might value a car or how somebody might value a company or how somebody values their time. It is an objective fact that Jesus is worthy. Jesus is deserving of all of our praise, honor, and glory. Because in heaven, when we're in the year 10,762, we will still be singing praises of his worthiness. And for all of eternity, we will be singing songs, praises of his worthiness. And so as we go out, as we conclude with one more song, and as we um, have a, a great and awesome Sunday, have, have that be on your thought. Is, is Jesus worthy? Do I demonstrate in my life that Jesus is worthy? Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for truth in your word that even as as the apostle john was able to see that we get a glimpse into heaven we get a glimpse into seeing the angels and the the redeemed people singing your praises that you are worthy god i pray that our lives may demonstrate that to the world that desperately needs to see the worthiness of christ that, that christ in in and of himself is self-sufficient, he is self-existent, he is eternal, he is almighty, he is powerful, but also that he has done great things for us, that he has redeemed us, that he has transformed us. God, so I pray that we may demonstrate the worthiness of Christ in our lives, and I pray that your spirit may be able to, to work within us, that, that may bring about truth and bring about conformity to, to who you are. We pray all this in Jesus' name.